with the door shut, isn't it? And your coat's on. We're okay. All right. Um, so in my passage, we're still in all oh, trailblazers. God, God bless you. All right. Uh, so we're still in chapter 10 in Luke. And uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Mary and Martha. Firstly, we're going to look at their story. And secondly, from Mary's example, I want to focus on our attitude to God, sitting at the feet of Jesus and worship as part of our prayer life. Hopefully this will strengthen us all in these times. So the story is familiar to many of us, and we often weigh up the pros and cons of whether we're a bit of a Mary or we're a bit of a Martha. Um, Of course, Mary is more holy. Of course, Martha is right to prepare a meal for Jesus. And well, of course, Mary should have helped her. But a bit like Bob last week with the story of the Samaritan, it's good to see ourselves and see where we fit in a story. But also, before we get tempted to spend our morning navel-gazing, let's look at their story, at their family, and then go on to look at worship. So, Father God, I thank you that you are here with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, pray that you'd help them, and Lord, we want to come out of this closer to you and um, encouraged in our faith. Amen. All right, did you know we actually meet Mary and Martha three times in the Gospels? I thought it was two, turns out it's three. So uh, this passage in Luke, which we're going to read in a minute, where we meet them, and presumably they meet Jesus for the first time in person. Uh, The second is in John chapter 11. Uh, where sometime later they've met him, they've become followers of Jesus, their brother Lazarus gets sick, and their first reaction is, we need Jesus. And Jesus inexplicably doesn't come, doesn't run, isn't there in a hurry, and it all feels horrific for them. And then by the time he does come, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Long story short, Mind-blowingly, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And transformative. The third time we meet them uh, is in John 12. So it's only a chapter later from raising Lazarus, but it's some time later. And they, Mary and Martha are again offering hospitality to Jesus. And Lazarus was there eating with them. Uh, and at the end of that, if you remember, you may not know, Mary, as an act of just adoration of Jesus breaks some, a, a vase, a, very, a jar of very expensive, pure perfume nard over Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair, just pouring out her love for him. Um, all right. Now, it's interesting to have these insights. We actually don't know much about many of Jesus' followers. So to have three encounters and see their journey from hearing about him, offering him hospitality, becoming followers, going through a massive trial and then becoming part of those who, as opposition was mounting to Jesus, were a safe place where he could be welcomed and uh, fed, looked after, and loved, and honoured in their home. So let's go to the text. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, so just a bit of context behind this passage um, is at the start of the chapter, verse 1, we're told that Jesus had sent out 72 of his followers in pairs um, ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was about to go. That's verse 1. So the village, Bethany, had already likely been visited by some of the 72, healing the sick, casting out demons, and announcing that the kingdom of God was near. Do you remember them coming back going, boom, even the demons submit to us. They were young, they were in training. Um, but following that, therefore, we know that the people of Bethany would have been eagerly anticipating Jesus' arrival. If that's what they were doing, we want to meet Jesus. And at the time of his appearance on the scene, people hadn't been following him on Instagram, on his YouTube channel. Not many people would have known about the unusual circumstances of his birth or the signs accompanying him. It was probably, well, it was, only much later, decades after Jesus' ministry, um, his death and resurrection, decades later, that people wrote down the accounts of his life in the Gospels, showing how many hundreds of Old Testament prophecies had been fulfilled by his coming, and showing that Jesus of Nazareth was the long-awaited Messiah. So at this point, most likely people had just been hearing rumors, testimonies, Maybe about chapter 8, Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. Maybe chapter 9, I mean, of course it wasn't a chapter to them, but that's, where, that's the linear, that's how we see it. Um, the feeding of the five, 5,000 people! 5,000 people from those bits of sardine. and that's what, they were, that's what they'd heard on the grapevine. So Jesus was coming. How might we have reacted? Real curiosity. Cynicism. This won't turn out to be him. Hope. Hunger. Could this be the Messiah? Um, so there was a lot of talk. Martha, we might presume her to be the older sister. Verse 38 says Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Might have been one of those vying with pointy elbows to be the one to host Jesus in the village. It made me think of Gladys Aylward. Do you remember the missionary to China uh, in the middle of last century? The Chinese mule, muleteers, mule trains, would come through her town taking goods through China, and none of them wanted to stop at her inn that she ran because she was a funny foreign woman. And so she would wait at the gate as the mule train came past, grab the lead bridle and force them into her courtyard, start feeding the mules, and then the muleteers would be like, all right, we'll stay at your place. That was her technique. Or we might think of a slightly more, perhaps a biblical example. People were desperate to get to get Jesus. You think about the four friends who made a hole in someone's roof to get their friend to him. Or blind Bartimaeus, forgetting all decorum, Jesus, son of David! Not very English. Come and have mercy on me! Didn't come first time. He shouted it again. Right? That's the determination Martha probably showed to be able to get Jesus coming to her house. What an honor to have him. And I can see the kind of pressure Martha was under wanting to serve him well and, and honour him and impress him, maybe, I don't know. 
And after the thing with the 72, she might have been dreading him, shaking the dust off his feet if he wasn't welcome properly. Hostess nightmare. Anyway, so she may have momentarily forgotten the bit about actually meeting Jesus in her panic. From the context, though, of Jesus arriving, we can see why Mary just wanted to sit at his feet. Jesus was saying, come and listen. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is here. Come and listen. And Martha's like, tell her to help me, Jesus. He's like, no, Mary has chosen the good portion. By the way, it's not a rule for life not to help with the washing up or the serving. It's just a description of what happened on that day. And I'm very sure Jesus really did appreciate her hospitality, but he kindly, graciously, lovingly was showing her that his message was more pivotal than anything else going on than she could imagine, more important than hospitality. It was changing the world as, as they knew it and as we know it. The only proper response is to pay attention at that point. And as it dawned on Mary and the others and they got to know him, their natural response was awe and worship like pouring out perfume on his feet. So the kingdom of God, as Jesus proclaimed it and demonstrated it, not just words, was turning everything they knew on its head. Synagogue life, what they thought the Messiah would be like, their traditions, their norms, the role of women, Gentiles, so that's non-Jewish people, conventional wisdom. And as I said, he didn't just talk about it, he demonstrated it. Even raising the dead and controlling the weather. It was dynamite. All those crowds, desperate for healing, desperate for deliverance, desperate for hope under the oppressive Roman occupation, those waiting for the Messiah, everyone dropped everything they were doing to follow him and listen to his teaching. A lot more than just making a meal wasn't getting done. Mary and Martha and all the other people that met him were never the same again. Their lives changed forever as a result. Right, so I'm going to spend the rest of this talk thinking about worship and how we worship the Lord, but I don't just want to gloss over Martha's part and uh, what we can learn from her. She was a godly woman who served her heart out and occasionally got flustered. I like Martha. Martha is a fantastic example of someone who loved serving, and serving is part of our worship and an outflow of our love for him but not stress, resentment, frantically trying to do the right thing, save the world in our own strength. It's an overflow of our gratitude to Jesus. And as someone who just occasionally gets a tiny bit stressed when things are busy, busy, I like Martha a lot, and I'm pretty sure Jesus loved her dearly. One of my many goals, however, is to serve like Jesus served, from a place of rest in his Father, led by the Spirit. Jesus packed an awful lot into his days, into his three years. And we never read about him racing from place to place. I'm going to be late. Frantically trying to fit everything in, breathing into a paper. No. We learn it's about entering his Father's rest, keeping in step with God. And that's, how we can, that's what we can work towards. Our souls find rest in him. We walk secure in his love and confident of his help. I think by the time, the third time we meet Mary and Martha, she's still serving food, but she will have learned a lot more about walking with Jesus and peacefully. So, over to us. 
Well, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 tells us Jesus Christ is the same. That Jesus Christ we've been hearing about is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not with us physically. He's seated in heavenly places. And uh, chapter 12 tells us he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So for the second part of this, um, let's look at how we worship and how we respond to God. So what is worship? We often think of it as the songs we sing on a Sunday or when we pop YouTube on at home and sing along in our kitchen when no one can see us, maybe. So yes, music is singing, potentially even dancing, although steady on, we are British. Um, the Bible shows us that, yes, singing is part of it, but the original meaning of the words translated as worship in our Bibles usually mean a physical response as evidence of a heart attitude, such as bowing, kneeling, prostrating yourself before the Lord, raising your hands, showing reverence and honor to God and not to anything else. God first. So what is worship? Worship is firstly our response to our creator. I'm, uh, I'm not very sciencey, but I'm really enjoying Helen's, Helen, Helen's um, beauty in creation group this ter uh, term. We've been learning about how vast the universe is and how tiny our world is in it. And then getting smaller, us, and how tiny every cell is in our body. I don't know how, uh, Helen, you have to ask Helen, she's an expert. Something like three billion processes happening at any one point in our bodies. And in the cell, you've got microscopic engines zipping your DNA together, repairing things, replicating. It is incredible, incredible. The more you look at it, you think, there's no way this happens by random chance in a muddy puddle. No. And you turn your heart and you say, praise God. You made all this and you hold it all together. It turns your heart to worship. We worship him because he's our creator. Secondly, we worship because he is our savior, because of Jesus. We are forgiven, redeemed, and saved because of Jesus if we repent and of going our own way and ask him into our lives. And if someone saves your life, redeems you from certain disaster, from death, from hell, when nothing else could save you, you feel eternally grateful and appreciative. A debt of gratitude we can never finish repaying. It's humbling. And when Jesus paid the price for all our sins, paid the penalty so that we could be forgiven and free, like Mary with her perfume, we can pour out our lives in response. So thirdly, what is worship? Worship is the rightful order of things. We were created to worship God and to have a relationship with him. Um, things go very wrong when we fail to give God the honor he is due. Let's look at our world today. Our nature, however, if we reject God, is still to worship. And so that's where we end up maybe turning to idolizing money or idolizing sex and sexuality. Maybe we idolize ourselves, one more selfie, or our phones, ouch, or maybe power like some world leaders at the moment. Anything we put before God and what we worship shows where our heart is and ultimately determines the course of our lives. 
So if, like me, you're starting to panic and going, well, I do put a lot of time into work, into my family, into my health, into my whatever, help. No. Those could be idols if we put them first in our lives and in our hearts. But we are given things to steward. We have been given lives to live. So if we thank God for our work and seek to bring him glory through the way we do our work, and we thank God for our families, and we seek to honor him in the way we care for our families, and we train our children up in the knowledge and love of God, and we do look after ourselves because we're made in his image, and others because they are too, yes, those things will take up a lot of your time. But if he is first in your heart, the glory goes to God, and blessing comes from doing things his way. Pastor John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, a well-known quote, says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's the starting point. So we worship because he's our creator. We worship because he's our savior. We worship because it's the rightful order of things. And things are out of order when we don't. Finally, and my main application for today Worshipping and praising God is also a powerful weapon. We're in a fight. We can see that in our, the things that we've had to deal with over the last three years. A fight to hold on to our faith. A fight to, to remember that God is in control. Teach ourselves. Tell ourselves. Um, so worshipping and praising God is a way we can lean into him and exalt him above our circumstances. How we can survive difficult situations, and even turn situations around. So there's an example from Scripture and a story as well of when putting God first turns the impossible around, and we could use that now. Right, so first of all, Moses. In Exodus 17, when Israel was fighting against the Amalekites, instead of Moses grabbing a sword and joining the Amalekites to fight, He went up on a hillside above the battle and raised his hands before the Lord. You're quite vulnerable when your hands are raised. But he raised his hand, he put the Lord first. And as long as his hands were raised to God, the battle went in the favor of the Israelites. And as his arms started to get a bit, oh my gosh, getting cramp, oh, I can't do this. The battle started going the other way, going against them. And his um, companions came and held his arms up until the battle was won. Notice the power of worshipping God and also the power of teamwork. Worshipping God together. Honouring God. All right. Sorry, there's only 45 more pages to go. Got it. Remember the incredible testimony we heard last week of the soldiers in Ukraine feeling the power of the world's prayers. Carrying and protecting them and urging us to continue as the battle still raged and still rages. There have been many more testimonies. You might have picked them up on in different social media and things. We need to continue to stand with them. We're not taking sides. We're trusting God to break through and protect the people of Ukraine and to defuse this horrible situation. All right. I recently read an account uh, where missionaries, so this is the story bit, missionaries in Papua New Guinea in the 1970s were really struggling to reach the local community. Um, with the gospel. Nothing was really working. Nothing was really producing fruit. So they they turned to prayer like, God, help us. And they said, said, the the guy I'm going to read from in a minute, said, four separate visitors from four separate countries came, one after the other in different 
bits and said the same thing. Praise, brackets, lively worship, um, is the key to breaking through the forces of darkness in this city. Praise is the key. They kept hearing it. So this is their response. Although some of the languages of, of its era. All right. It didn't take a rocket scientist to understand that God had spoken. We put it into practice, becoming fanatical praisers. Sometimes we worshipped God in our little mission house all morning. We marched around the room, sang at the top of our voices, shouted praises, and fell to our knees, or stretched out face down, praising God. And it started making a difference. We were finally seeing breakthroughs with people getting saved, set free from bondage, and coming into the fullness of the Spirit. When we went out to evangelize, the change was clear. Instead of hardened, unrepentant people hiding behind a Christian facade, we saw individuals stand weeping publicly, renouncing their witchcraft. The trickle of converts increased to a steady flow. And we had as many as 5,000 attending our meetings. Every week we baptized new Christians in the ocean and this continued for three years. Cripples got up and walked and blind people were healed. And within six months, we saw nine fellowships of spirit-filled believers begun in Port Moresby. The power of praise and worship. All right. So for myself, I've been dealing with something for, I think, seven years now that's not only really difficult, but it also means you have to deal with the corresponding fear and discouragement and despondency and, dis and all those things. And I'm sure Ukrainian believers are facing that right now. There's the problem, and then there's the fear behind the problem and, and the grief. Um, we know that God is good and faithful and mighty to save. But in any difficult situation, we can be tempted to think, does God care? Has he forgotten me? Why is he distant? Is this the way things are always going to be? And if we dwell there, it's not a good place to be. Why doesn't God help us sometimes? Well, he does, and he has. You help a baby, they're helpless. You help a toddler, and you help a small child. Heck, we all need help sometimes, and there's no shame in that, and there's God's love and kindness to us. But remember the 72 that Jesus sent out. He didn't do it for them. He equipped them and sent them out, telling them, I've given you authority. Our prayers have authority when we come before God. And sometimes he doesn't help because he says, I've given you the tools, I've given you the weapons. Start using them, you will find that they work. He equipped them and sent them out. All right, so I don't believe my trial is from God. I don't believe what's happening in Ukraine is anything to do with God. But we do have to fight to hold our ground. And what's really helped me is learning to use scripture, learning to praise God, and to stand on non-negotiable truth, using scripture like a weapon. That determination that Martha showed to get Jesus in, we need that, we need that determination. And there's several scriptures here that I keep using. One of them, uh, I think, or oh, maybe coming up later, is something that Bob read as well. But Psalm 149, let the high praises of God be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands. That's the word of God. Uh, Psalm 16, I have kept the Lord always before me 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, you don't have to say it louder and more frantically to make it, make it true. It is true. We stand on the truth. Easy to say. Takes a lot of practice, a lot of falling over, a lot of... And then you pick yourself up and you go again. And Galatians 5, when things come against me, no, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Think about the things Jesus did. Let's be encouraged that there is more. More for each of us, more for Beacon, more for the UK, and more for the world. And let us press into Jesus for ourselves and our church, for Ukraine, for colleagues, for everybody. We have a part to play. So, how can we grow in our worship? First thing, uh, like Jesus coming to Mary and Martha's house, and Mary sitting at his feet, Revelations 3.20 says, as Jesus said to the church, church in Laodicea, but it speaks to us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Like Jesus came to eat with Mary and Martha. They learned a lot when he was with them. We need to spend time with Jesus. If you're not familiar with Jesus or if it's been a while, maybe read the Gospels. Remind ourselves who he is. Uh, we need to set time. It doesn't happen by accident. We need to set time aside and be intentional. Whatever works for you. Uh, morning, evening, five minutes when baby is asleep or ten minutes in. Whatever works, but we need to be intentional. But also, this is not about a dutiful religion. This is a relationship to be nurtured. So then we need to start worshipping more. I think this is the only last slide, if that's all right. Thank you, Paul. Uh, we need to start worshipping more. So how? What do we do? Where do we start? It's always good to start praying with praise and worship. We do that in our Tuesday morning prayer meetings, but more of that in a minute. First of all, remind yourself that God is on his throne and that God is with you and for you and hears your prayers. You start by praising him. Thank you that I'm your daughter. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you hear my prayers. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've got things for us. Just start praising God. He is Lord, and he is worthy of all our praise. Next one, oh, I don't know what to say. I run out of words. That's fine. Maybe use a psalm. Use a psalm. Just start. The psalms are a brilliant way of expressing to God, back to God, about him about his glory, about his power, about his kindness. Maybe use the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it starts with, hallowed be your name. And we praise God. And we celebrate him. And then we can come more confidently with what we need to ask him and bring before him. Use his names. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals. You are Jehovah Jireh. That is your name. You are the God who provides. Thank you, Lord. We can trust you. Memorize and meditate on scripture building up your prayer muscles and your worship muscles. All right, worship songs, obviously, we've talked about them, or find, your, find things that bless you, find songs that bless you, and just sing them out. Maybe make sure the windows are shut if it's a sunny day, but whatever, it doesn't matter. I found um, Lou and Nathan Fellingham on, online during lockdown on Wednesday mornings. They do half an hour, they lead half an hour of worship, and I just, they've carried on post-lockdown. Whatever works for you, find ways of working worship into your life. And finally, it is the month of prayer, so you may or may not know that we have uh, Tuesday morning prayer meetings, 9 a.m. on Zoom, 30 minutes. Please sign up and join with us. We have adventures with God. 
If you can't join for the meeting, you're doing something else at that time, you can still join the WhatsApp group where we post the things we're praying about. And if still that's not for you, it's good for you to know that we are a church that prays, that we do cover people in prayer, that we do lift people up, and we do, um, do pray. We're a praying church. Steph Liston on my leadership course recently said, prayer is the engine room of the church. Prayer and worship, celebrating God is the engine room of the church. All right. Well done. We're nearly there. Um, it may be that you're not a Christian here this morning, or you're a new Christian and you have questions. Please ask. Please ask. We'd love to talk about it. Uh, and in conclusion then, today we've been reminded of how incredible our Jesus is. It's not just a two-dimensional story that happened a long time ago. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's use this month of prayer to grow in these areas, individually and together. They've been such a blessing in past years, these months. Let's grow. The richer we are in him, the more we have to share and the greater the breakthroughs we will see.